Hi, Juliana. Welcome to the I Am Unbreakable podcast. How are you today? Hello, and thank you so much for having me, Adrian. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Oh, awesome. I have been so excited to speak to you <laughs> about everything you're doing. I mean, I have to touch base first and foremost on your new book. So amazing. Just started it. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of what you do and what led you to writing this book? Just for those uh, who don't maybe know you or just sort of coming uh, into the podcast now, would you mind just to kind of share your amazing experience? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. So the book was really a 10-year dream sort of come true situation. Wow. And I've always been a good writer. I've always done a lot of writing for my career in all the different forms, but the process of getting it into a book, and I also did the audiobook version of it, was really... I knew I had a book in me, but I wanted to be the right book, <laughs> if that makes sense. I, of course. And yeah. I know how tedious it can be and how time consuming. And with the wealth of knowledge you have mm -hmm. to kind of compress it all into one, I'm sure there's going to be others yeah. to follow. But <laughs> talk to us a little bit about sort of what your background is. So leading mm -hmm. up to your 10 year book writing. Yes. So it's interesting because my career path is a little zigzaggy and it really started 22 years ago in the veterinarian medicine side of things. I've oh. always been an animal. Yes. I've always been an animal lover. And so was my family. And I was born and blessed to be born in a very holistic family with my grandparents on my mom's side, practicing my grandpa until two years ago. And he unfortunately passed away. He oh, was a holistic sorry. practitioner and he brought the whole family into this very open-minded way to question the world, but also be very accepting and receptive of different ideas. And I, I think that, that. <laughs> and he taught you to, it sounds like he really taught you to be curious and now you're teaching everybody else <laughs> be curious about your health and everything. Yeah. So, okay. So mm -hmm. he brought that into the family and that's how you were brought up. So you, yeah. you obviously had an immediate passion and love for that type of healing. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that you were always a healer from a young person? Yeah, like it, it was funny because from a very young age, people would say to me that I behaved as a child, like beyond my years. I started talking at 10 months old, which my dad says I haven't stopped it since. <laughs> <Which is true. laughs> and we love it. We love very it. Very true. Um, it's always been like, I've always resonated with people that were generations above me from a very young age and people would come to me and tell me, tell me all their problems and life stories. So I think it was just, I think what it was is that I was able to maybe hold a space for them without the judgment that sometimes, you know, like it comes from it. Like, I think it's just part of my uh, gift is being able to reflect people in a loving way if that makes sense that's what I've been told from different people of course and, yeah and the little bit that I've talked to you I really do sense that because you're very not only open-minded you have an empathy and a love for people immediately and that is so evident in everything oh, that you. you do and everything that you touch and I think to be a healer sort of on your level you have to be that way yeah do you find that serves you 
and has served yeah. you, you know, as a young child, like you said, and I, you and I sort of share that as well. Cause I was very much the same way. You always wanted to help people and heal yes. people and whatnot, but did you find, so you found the positive it served you. Mm-hmm. Did you find that there was some negative? Yeah. I think for me, what is really interesting, I think that's really the contrast is that I've always been incredibly hard on myself. And for a long time, I, I almost like blamed myself from being, some people call it the perfectionism, you know, archetype or whatever, but it was even more than that. It was very much like I had such high standards for everything I did that I really pushed my body beyond like, you know, my husband would say that like I do the work of four people in one body, right? And it's always been like my comfort zone kind of thing. Uh, But I think what I realized is that a big part of my journey is sort of like learning through my own you know, trial and error so that I can simplify for other people. So I think part of being hard on myself now gives me the ability to actually understand how hard women are on themselves too. And just being a little bit ahead in terms of now coming to terms of that self-compassion, self-understanding, and kind of bringing that perspective to the women that usually are attracted to my work. And that's kind of what the book is about. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, like yeah. circling and, my, yeah. And I love that because it seems not only have you, do you have the understanding, but I feel that when I go to somebody for help, I want them to have experienced it. Yeah. And even, you know, the, maybe it's a, a bad analogy, but I the only one that comes to my mind is either dogs or kids. And mm-hmm. I feel that, yes, I can, ha- and I have lots of friends, beautiful, wonderful souls that have no children, but it's hard sort of to, and you've got the empathy, but you don't mm-hmm. really understand till you're in that position yeah. or people that, you know, you, I had a sick dog and people are like, just give it away or just put her down. I'm like, what? That is part of my life and my soul. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, so, but you know, it's, so you have actually experienced that. And that is so profound. I think that's probably maybe one of the many um, biggest attributes that you have is that you talk from experience and you message from a place of authenticity and experience. And I love that about you. (laughs) And it served you. I want to ask you a question because I've run into this. I want to know if you have, or you're way better at keeping, you know, healthy boundaries. When you talk about having sort of, and I don't want to say like you've you've got the experience and whatnot, do you feel that sometimes, I'm sure throughout your life, people have maybe taken advantage of your kind spirit and have sucked the life out of you, you know, asking you for, and these could be friends, it could be family, mm-hmm. not in a bad way, but we as women or we as healers find it very difficult to say no, not now or not today. Yeah. Did you ever run into that? Absolutely. And for me, I think it has had like almost like different versions of it, if that makes sense. So of course, years and years back when I wasn't aware that that was happening, right? I would say the energy sucking the life out of me would have been a lot more profound. And I am a very sensitive person. However, what I think has happened since, and I see this a lot of times work, I work with clients with a lot of very deep wounds. Like that's a big part of my work. And I know it's a big part of your work too. And I think at first, 
what I used to do that used to deplete me was I, I used to meet them there and almost like feel their pain with them, almost like transmuting their pain through my body. And that was so depleting, exhausting, Very. Whereas, right? Whereas now I feel the, the way that I help them is more holding this mirror to them of compassion and this mirror of showing them, I see you, but I don't have to feel with them to the same degree. And I think it's something that I have intentionally worked on developing over time. So I still have a few it's friends a gift. and family, but it's kind of like I'm a little bit more intentional in terms of how I share my energy and how I partake my energy. I uh, have to set some boundaries with some people, right? That sometimes and it doesn't make us, it doesn't make us popular at the time, but no, <laughs> it's so necessary. And it and yeah. you know, I can tell that you are very sensitive, and mm-hmm. it, it's hard, especially your families and your loved ones. But you know, yeah. I wish that we could. You know, I don't want to say you know hindsight is great looking back. That I would have harnessed that earlier in my career mm-hmm. because I think we would have been a lot healthier. Well, I'm going to say for myself, I'm not unhealthy right now, but I know it caused and, and stresses, as we know, stressors yeah. and trauma um, are the biggest uh, kind of contributors to to illness. Yeah. And so I feel that exact, you said it just in such a perfect professional way <laughs> that if you allow their energy and I used to, I used to be crying on the phone with my clients for the first five years during mm-hmm. the day, all hours of the night. And then finally, uh, you know, actually I think it was my husband and my mom just sort of sat me down and said, listen, babe, you're doing great, but you know, you're not doing great. Yeah. And that's sort of when I had to take a look in the mirror and step back and I said, okay, well, how can I serve them still in that capacity, but in a different way? And and you probably yeah. became creative at doing it. Can you yeah. share any tips or tricks in how you became creative at those healthy boundaries for yourself. Yeah. On a more intellectual way, one of the ways that I really look at boundaries is recognizing that the more authentically grounded you are in yourself and what is right for you, the better you are for the world, period. Right. So a lot of times we see boundaries as saying no to other people. And I tell my, my clients all the time, boundaries is saying yes to you. The only reason why we feel it's hard to say no to others is that we perceive we're giving them a disadvantage, right? But sometimes when you say no to someone or you offer them care or help in a different way, you actually are giving them a gift, maybe wrapped in newspaper. So they're not able to see right away, right? But once they unwrap, they will grow or become resourceful in some capacity. So that's a more intellectual way that I sort of rationalize, you know, boundaries by saying yes to me. And on a more that's emotional beautiful. way. <laughs> that's beautiful though. That You know, everybody who's listening has to really listen to what you just said, because especially as women, you know, we're taught to be caregivers and especially yeah. if you're a healer and you have turned it around into such a simplified way. Mm-hmm. Say yes to you. Don't look at it as you're not doing your job, you're not serving others, or you're saying no, you're, you know, turning a negative into a positive, which is so important. And you're saying, I'm saying yes to me. And yeah, you Mm -hmm. know, I always say no, you know, you can reframe no a thousand different ways. Yes. Saying yes, that is, that is awesome. I love that. Thanks for sharing. 
My pleasure. And then you model to the other person as well, right? Because a lot of times if somebody doesn't have healthy boundaries one way, it probably goes both ways for them and they don't have personal boundaries either. And I think sometimes like, I think women can spot strength and groundedness and authenticity in other women. So even just by doing that, you're already giving that gift to someone else of them seeing that. Right. And oh, I'm not saying different. don't be flexible. Right. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel I'm a flexible person, but there's specific things with family and even sometimes clients that I know a healthy boundary is needed. Right. So then, you know, Bernice has that, uh, that like clarity is kindness, right? So everybody's clear. This is what the line is. And this is how, you know, things go. And I think it's just easier for everyone. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, mm-hmm. same. a lot of times, you know, my clients and, and, you know, same with you, they come to us in their worst state sometimes. I mean, yeah. it's always, you know, something that I know that you also uh, promote is sort of fixing the roof when it's sunny out. Right. But <laughs> a lot of times people will turn to us in their most dire need and in their vulnerable hurt phase. And so, of course, we need to be more compassionate and empathetic. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they don't want to hear that, okay, I can help you for sure. But like you said, I'm very clear. And they're like, well, what if I need you at two in the morning? And I said, you know, if let's just say, for example, it's it's um, domestic violence. And Mm -hmm. I'll say to them, well, first of all, the investigator is outside. Um, Secondly, I'm not your first call. The police are. So we come up with uh, because I think people when they cling on to you and they look to you for these immediate solutions um they're very temporary because we're not going to be there yeah. forever right i mean we yes. always want the forever client but we want the little birdie to fly and do it on their own <laughs> yes so you sort of say okay well th- these are your concerns this is what i can offer at two in the morning and unless like you know call the police and unless something's on fire which at which point you'd call 911 as well wait till 8am. Right. And so like you said, it's just about clarity. So that that's a great tip. I love, Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you make Mm -hmm. it very clear to people. And so let me ask you this, when you are dealing with somebody that is, let's just say in their worst moment, Mm -hmm. what is one I I know it's going to be hard to say one, what, what's one your favorite or favorite few kind of tips that you give people? Because I know for me, I always tell my clients, number one, you're not always going to feel like this. Number two, Mm -hmm. yes, you can. And number three, the only thing guaranteed is change. So is (laughs) as you feel right now, the good news is that's going to change, right? Mm -hmm. So what are your tips? What is your, maybe you don't want to give away all of it, but what are Oh, no, no. Oh, I'm happy to. (laughs) What are your secrets? I'll say my top two. Uh, the first one is you're not your mind. And I like, I like understanding and mastering the mind is a huge part of the work I do with the body, right? And really you're the one that observes the mind, but you're not the mind. So my clients know because it's my visualization of it. I call my mind the purple minion, you know, that has the crazy hair that goes from really cute and cuddly to <laughs> absolutely crazy. And yep. it needs the jello shot, like the sugar shot to like soothe it. So it's I the perfect visual of the mind, you know, when it's like in that state. So that's the first Beautiful thing. analogy. 
And the second thing, and I think that calms a lot of times, you know, the nerves, because if I'm not the one that's overreacting and perceiving, then we can work on those perceptions to at least bring you to that equilibration in the mind so we can be more realistic at observing the situation. So that's my first sort of go-to. And the second, and it's something that I'm actually like in the process of like actually creating a tattoo of that, like I'm just working on the design because I really want it. But that one says... Everything passes out to last the temporary. And I have that in my vision board. I have that in post-its all over the house. And for me, it is so, so the first part, like everything passes, there's maybe better ways to say it, but one of the most, shall say, prolific Brazilian soccer players, he has that tattooed in his neck in Portuguese, and it's a shorter word or sentence. And I find that so incredible because he hit such a pinnacle of success and the entire country is obsessed to him and to have that nothing is permanent i think it just brings you to such presence which most people forget that that's the only moment we actually have right? right and so remember that's all you have that's the actual gift in life however if the present doesn't feel good <laughs> it will pass which is kind of similar to what you said but that for me is like my you know, that I is, go to that every time I need to. Yeah. And it really, it, I love it. I can't wait to see your tattoo. <laughs> you know, I'm a huge tattoo girl and I've got them all over my body, oh, but, nice. uh, you know, I I've only ever tattooed anything on, uh, especially my arms, things that you really hold true to your heart. So yes. you saying, you know, cause the shorter version or another version really is be present, live in the moment mm-hmm. because this too shall pass. And I think there was yeah. something on TikTok I saw. So it definitely isn't some a phrase or a thought that um, uh, I've, you know, made up or anything. I think it was Tom Hanks. Some of the greats were chatting and they said, you know, you're on top right now or no, you're on the bottom right now. This too shall pass. You're on the top. This too shall pass. Yes. So it's sort of <laughs> similar to, to your tattoo that yeah. enjoy the moment, right? Because yeah. we're never promised tomorrow. We're never promised an hour or two minutes from now. So living yeah. in the moment and even with mental health, I think I mentioned to you, I'm a huge mental health ally and um, just bringing awareness. And they always say that depression happens when you think about the past. Anxiety is when you think of the future. Exactly. Living in the moment, which is, I mean, you say it so freely and easily. It is a really hard thing to do. Incredibly hard. Yeah. Probably one of the hardest things for any human to master, actually. And I would say a lot of the big, you know, spiritual teachers out there, that's the specific thing they have mastered that have given them, I would say, like open this almost like quantum leaps of all the teachings and things they have. And I think our job in the pursuit of that, you know, understanding is really it's not so much how do you get to the present moment, but it's bringing back every time you feel you're not, right? That, at least that's my practice, like the subtraction rather than what else to do is like, what else not to do? Oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, I, I bring need it you back. to come and live back. with me and tell me every time <laughs> that I'm getting there because it's not to say, and you know, I, I do really, you know, encourage that as well for my clients, but it's hard in a life that when you're brought up, it's sort of like, okay, well, now you're sitting, now you're eating solids. Now you're, you Mm -hmm. know, crawling, walking now school. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? What's next? It's always what's next. How about what's here? What's today? Because all the moments that, you know, 
I, I also do a lot of work with people that are passing through on the other side and people never say, I wish I had a fancier car or more money. <laughs> it's always, yes. I wish I had more time with my loved ones. And yeah. I think a lot of times we miss those moments because we're in the hustle and bustle and, you know, kind of whatever you want to call it. I call it craziness of life. Uh, and we don't, we miss those moments. So I love the fact of your teaching how just to be present and be in the moment. And it is tough mm. for anybody who's listening. And I'm sure, and I can't talk, speak for you, but I know for myself, I do it and I have to reel myself in sometimes mm -hmm. several times a day. I don't have it down packed a hundred percent, but I am mindful that I have the tools to, to come back into the moment. And I have yeah. now the experience and the knowledge like you do that give you triggers to say, mm, I'm kind of veering. Like, what do you see? Cause I'm really, I'm so mm -hmm. interested in your business, but I'm really yes. interested in having people know who you are. So what would you say would be, let's say something that would alert you to say, you know what? I'm not living in the moment. I think or for me, I'm, yeah, you haven't yeah. mastered that a hundred percent, right? No, I don't think anybody no, really no. does. They <laughs> have to be mindful continuously. So yes. what, what's one thing for you that triggers you to realize you're not in the moment? Yeah. And, and I'll say potentially even like disconnected from the desire to be in the moment all the time is probably part of the process. Like I have almost like the expectation that I have is that I will continue to bring it back. You know, I just got to peace with it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because otherwise we're so caught up in being in the moment that we're not in the moment, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, oh yeah. The mind is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. <laughs> and I think for me, because I was born and raised until I was 21 years of age in a very dangerous country, my nervous system has been definitely wired for survival. And I've done that through, you know, testing my hormones many times. And I've, I would say come a long way, but, and I saw that through the pandemic, like early days as well, like my ability to become insanely alert and going back into the fear base and make the response is very powerful. And my husband is Canadian from the, you know, Canadian countryside. So he had a much more peaceful upbringing. And Where were he, you brought up that you have to share? I uh, Like Brazil, like the real Sao Paulo, super overpopulated areas of Brazil. So for when we see situations that are very difficult, for example, that, you know, the FOMO that we all had early days in COVID and, you know, shelves were emptying all that stuff to see what happened to my nervous system, it, it actually surprised my husband and I. We looked and I was like, whoa, I became a different person for like two days. Like it was crazy. And I said to him, I don't know how to stop this. So just please let me be in control. And he's such a good guy. He's like, go for it. So I'm like, <laughs> you're traffic. like, knock yourself like, out. Yeah. Total crazy person over here. Uh, and that was a great contrast perspective for me that when push comes to shove, I go there and I'm so outside of the present moment. I'm in the future projecting all the worst case scenarios and really working there. So Pass I think masks kind of and, you know, gloves up to here. And totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so then you're in that he allows you and what a beautiful man and <laughs> yes. what a great husband 
You know, we need partners like that, that support us in our moments, because it's not only you and I, you know, they're going to have their little things too. And you have to allow that person, like you said, to just be with it. But how beautiful too, is it that you could actually articulate that versus what a lot of couples do. And I see this all the time is they'll just go at it and they'll just start (laughs) And they're really just fighting to be heard, but it was wonderful that you were able to actually tell him that. Yeah. And we've worked, we've been together for 17 years and I would say the first 10 years of the 17, I was still very much like it was early my studies of human behavior as well. And I think communication was more me overpowering him because he's a softer and I'm a very strong personality. And then as I study human behavior, which is something I love so deeply, I I was able to, it was actually a a crack open moment. And I think I remember crying for like three days. I just felt like, so almost like guilty of how much I overpowered him like but it's a separate story but anyways it was this no I love that no I love this I want to hear this story but okay so you cried for three days and but I mean his softer version of himself that's his thing why why were you crying I think because for the 10 years like I almost like pastor him to be more ambitious, to be stronger, to be me basically, which would probably not have worked out if we were just the same people like butting heads. Right. And through even I was working with a practitioner, she was working on me. And eventually when I saw that, she said, he is actually the yin to your yang, like, or, you know, he's just like the perfect grounding force to your, you know, hotness and, you know, like spiciness, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I think it was, like, I just felt maybe this, I don't know if this is the right word, but I felt guilty for how much I put him through. I think that's why I was crying for. And I communicated that with him and I apologized. And he just, he just couldn't see why I was apologizing. <laughs> so Aww. it was like, this, it was a beautiful moment, but I think it was me taking responsibility. I think that's what happened in that moment, you know? And I said to him, I'm sorry for not being able to see. Right. And from that point forward, we communicate now in a way that like I, I see relationships next level, as next level utilitarian. Example. Like you give and you take, but that has to be some somehow in balance. Maybe not the same give and the same take, but proportionally, right? So now I understand we're very different people, but we have very similar values. And that's what, you know, that is the glue. And really by understanding what is important to him, what is important to me, we know when to compromise and when to give and take. And I think that has made our communication just completely transformed and has really enhanced our relationship. So we can actually tell each other, this is what I need. And the other person meets the other one there, right? So it has been really beautiful on that sense. He's my biggest success story of personal development. (laughs) What's his name? We just have to call him Paul. Paul, what a nice man, Paul. And you know, I have a very similar husband and I feel that behind or be, I like to say beside, they've got that saying behind every strong woman is a man that supports. I always say beside every strong woman is a man who loves and supports them and champions them on. So excellent. And I I like Paul. He's a nice man. He really is. (laughs) The fact that he sort of didn't even realize I think 
goes also to show about his character, but even more to take it around full circle for you, you know, because I also study human behavior and it's <laughs> beyond sometimes I, I just think, you know, once I've gotten sort of like the biggest, most complicated case, there's another one around the corner, but if people would in their relationships, the grass isn't greener. I always say everybody, yeah. poops the oh, same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. everybody leaves the toilet seat up. Everybody mm-hmm. maybe doesn't vacuum as much as they should, whatever, you know, the stereotypes that men and women or uh, couples and partners do humans do it's the same. So it's like you owned your shit, excuse my yeah. friend. Yeah. And that is next level communication. And I love yeah. that. So, you know, sort of taking that habit and owning it. And it's something my husband and I have been together the same amount of years. And, you know, I we went through some stuff, whatever, but it's the same of sort of like you won't and don't ask for it, but you own your stuff. I own mine. And when somebody mm-hmm. owns something, I think it is like you said, people don't even expect you to say it, but I think yeah. it makes, it lifts that person and you're spending your whole life lifting others. Why wouldn't you lift the person you love the most or one of exactly. the, love the most, right? And yeah. I think that relationships, just, sorry, I'm just going on because of what yeah. you said, so powerful to me. Relationships um, are not 50, 50. Everybody says, Oh, relationships. Have to be 50, exactly. 50. No, no. <laughs> they're not 50, 50, you know, sometimes I'll come home and I'll be like, you know what, hun, I got 30%. And he'll say, you know what? I've got your back. I've got the other 70 or, yeah. and somebody that I listen to all the time, you know, really uses this analogy. And I love it because people are always like, well, there's the 80, 20 ruler, the 50, 50. And I'm like, not in my world, mm-hmm. <laughs> not yeah. in my world. And I think if people listen to like what you're saying that sometimes I'm going to be, you know, off the charts and mm-hmm. it won't be all the time, but I'm going to be off the charts. You need to have my back and vice versa. Yeah. That is a beautiful, true love that yeah. the, you have. I love that. You have Absolutely. to bottle, you have to bottle that and maybe <laughs> book on, on stuff like that, because you make it sound so simple and I know it's not because very sadly the ego gets in the way. You have to have a yeah. tiny bit of ego to sort of survive. Yes. <laughs> uh, but you, you know, you can't have, I always say love has no right or wrong. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and it can't really be ego driven. It has to be very, you know, just authentic by you coming to him and saying that, is, and I can imagine why it would be sort of your big aha moment uh, and the self-realization, but you did that yourself, like through your own work. Yeah. Like I, I was really seeking that, but I didn't know that's what I would find. I think, <laughs> you know, I thought I was yeah. in the self-righteous path and then it hits me in the face, which was wonderful. Right? It was a big breakage of old identities. I think that's what that situation really was. Yeah, And I think for me, like, and this applies to every relationship, not just like, you know, romantic relationships. I think the reason why so many people struggle with romantic relationships is that the person closest to us are the ones probably our biggest teachers right and by teachers what I mean and I think it's about taking a hundred percent self-responsibility for your emotional safety that is a big part of how I live my life and what I teach in the sense that everybody's just holding up a mirror to you but all of us have all the possible human traits for example if you're 
you know, driving down and some having a great day and somebody cuts you up on the street, you may get really mad, right? Whereas if you go somewhere and somebody hands you, I don't know, a $10 bill, we may get really kind. So we all have all the qualities in us, but yeah. different people will get some of those, you know, out of us more than other people, right? And I feel what I do and now Paul practice with me is that if somebody kind of like just rubs me the wrong way, instead of looking at them and saying that person is blah, 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 I think what in them do I see myself? Because the oh. only reason why they bother bother me is because they're projecting a part of me I don't yet love. Or it's somebody that I love. It's like, what about them that I'm proud? Again, either way, I'm out of balance, out of authenticity. That I'm saying, yeah, I like you because you show this part of me that I'm like pumped up about. Yes. You know? yes. Yes. I like- love that. And that brings me back to that equilibrium because neither extreme on the seesaw is good, right? Like if you're too proud, life is going to humble you. If you're just like looking down too much, life is going to, somebody in life is going to uplift you a little bit. And I think that has been the secret of relationship through movies, through people cutting me off in traffic. I'm always asking, oh, this bothers me. What is it that I'm not seeing in myself? I'm always bringing that responsibility to self without blame. I love that. And, you (laughs) know, but it's such a difficult thing to do. And you're Mm -hmm. right. I think it comes with experience. It comes with breakthroughs. It comes through loss. Um, It comes through pain. Um, I don't think it's something, you know, I wish we could and and we should teach our children (laughs) and the upcoming generations this kind of behavior and this kind of empathy. Just the same way that we teach geography and just the same way that we teach math and English. Let's teach them to be in touch with their self because it, we are, you know, the youth as they're growing up and even ourselves as we grew up was never really about thyself. That was, you know, that's you being conceited. You should always think of others first. Now everybody's talking about self-care and put yourself first. I think it's always been that. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I always really think of the analogy when you're driving in a plane and used to really bother me, you know, I've got four kids and they're like, put your mask on first. I'm like, absolutely not. It's going on all them first. And I never got it until much later where it was like, but you're no good to anybody. If you don't have oxygen, you don't have your mask on, you can't help anybody. And it's kind of like, damn, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. I just love your teaching. Um, to, to sort of bring it back to yourself. Cause you're not saying sort of everybody's saying, well, think of what that person is going through, which is also important, right? Mm-hmm, but yeah. you're bringing it back to yourself is making you accountable versus them. Their road rage that comes yeah. to them. Right. And a lot of times, exactly. you know what? I don't want to be a road rage person. Maybe, you know, they got through a yellow light and I'm kind of late. Maybe I wish I would have got through a yellow light. I don't really know. But you keep saying, well, bring it back to you, which is huge, huge teaching. Because in honestly, the only way that we can make somebody right or wrong is if they contradict your internal guidebook, right? What I call like your inner priority. So for example, you say somebody driving really fast, we may think road rage is wrong, right? Look at them, maybe not road rage, but like, look at them speeding and so on. 
But if later you're to discover that in that car was a woman giving birth and her husband is trying to get them to the hospital, you go, oh, that's okay. Well, that, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, that makes sense. Exactly. That makes sense. Because in our prioritization, just speeding for the sake of speeding, no bueno, speeding for going to the hospital, that's okay. So yeah. when I take responsibility to myself, what that also does is that I am not making anybody else right or wrong right? It's just my perception of their choices through my own lenses. And I can never put myself truly in anybody else's shoes, right? That is and I so think, true. And I think a lot of the judgment comes when we think we know what they're going through. Nobody can. Like we can get close, especially if it's like a relative or some a client we're closing with, but nobody will have the perceptions, the experiences, the inner value structure, some other human being, right? So I think it's part of that as well, that I think there's no value in judging others and making the right or wrong, but we can use that as the mirror to see what parts of myself am I too proud of, right? To neutralize it a little bit or not loving just yet. Because as you work on loving all parts of you, I think it, it grows your capacity to help other people because everybody's just trying to love themselves and struggling with it, right? And that's why they fight and that's why they get angry and all those things. So it's really in creating your capacity and my work is really rooted on helping women do that with their own bodies, which was my first arch enemy <laughs> in my life for many years. Oh, really? Um, okay. So let's talk about that. Why? Yeah. Do tell. I would say from my understanding now, this is not my understanding 15 years ago, but of looking course. back, right? Like with like more information, um, and really the work of Dr. Sarno has really helped me get a lot of perspective on what was happening but I've always felt very emotionally unsafe to feel my feelings growing up in a country that was very violent and, you know, survival was key. Like I mentioned earlier, you were so always in I'm, survival mode, always. And back to our presence concept is very hard to be present and practice that if you are in your amygdala survival, right? So that's like almost step one, like you get back to emotional safety, <laughs> then you can practice presence, right? Cause otherwise surviving is more important. But once I got to Canada and my immediate danger wasn't here, I didn't feel any less safe like, or I didn't feel any safer. Right. Yeah. So that was interesting to me. It's like, OK, and now I'm creating chaos to feel unsafe because my threshold for stress is just so high. And I think what happened is because I was not accustomed to feeling my feelings, my body would. And that's what Dr. Sarno was teaching when he was alive. Your body will take on through muscles contracting that pressure and help process my emotions. And I started developing very significant chronic pain. I had spinal surgery. I had fibromyalgia diagnosis in 2017, which are textbook. Wow. My surgery and the fibro were exactly what he was describing as this, you know, tension, muscle tension disorder, I guess. And because of that, like about six, seven times, I wasn't able to get out of bed because everything would tense up and my husband would take me to emergency. I was heavily medicated, but constantly in pain, couldn't sleep. And through all of that and through some of the medications, I gained a lot of weight. I went from being a basketball player, a rower, a runner, soccer player. I was very athletic you know, muscular size for most of my, you know, young adult years to a size 12 in like six months. And that is a big change in your body in such a short period of time. Right. And I couldn't do my sports anymore. 
I experienced a lot of body shaming when I went back home to visit family because people just see you as A and now you're B and people are like not shy. Yeah, <laughs> so I think I went to, through to such... share about their feelings. Yep. Right. Very open. So I think I went through such a like from a dislike it on my body, such a fast curve while being in so much excruciating pain, even after my surgery in 2012, that I just didn't recognize my body. Like I didn't want to be, my, my mind is so sharp and learning and ready. My body was just like, you know, it wasn't the container that I remember it being, you know, for the life yes. I wanted to live. Yes. And I think that became the real root of a lot of the, the work I do in my, mind and body and how the two of them can play along and be best friends rather than arch enemies. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. So now <laughs> I want to hear what happened after you came home. So you're up eight sizes and mm -hmm. you've got a terrible sort of uh, thing that you're dealing with. Cause number one, there's the pain. Um, so you need yeah. to be on medication to get through the pain. It's sort of like yeah. this vicious cycle feeding the problem in a way that it yeah. didn't need to be fed. But so what do you do at that point? At what point did you have your aha moment or what was it for you yes. that created the change? Cause clearly you're yeah. not size 12 and clearly you feel a lot better. Yes. So what <laughs> was that share? Yeah. So my, my body decided for me. Yeah. I wish I could take credit, <laughs> but okay. I did not take, cannot take credit for this. No, nope. my body decided for me. And I had, so I was in corporate at that time working in nutrition product development. I had the accolades, the money, the team, like front on the paper it was a perfect career path. And I was really happy there. And I stayed there for seven years and on just before turning year seven, um, I went on a, like, it was kind of like diagnosis, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, but my body could not get out of bed one day. And I was feeling that I wasn't well. And I had a wonderful doctor back in the day, uh, which has moved to another province, but doesn't matter. Uh, and oh. he said, like, if you don't do something about this, you can actually get into pretty serious burnout here. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And then one day my body's like, that's it. You're not doing this. So yeah. I went into a forced, I call it my husband says forced, yes. uh, four months healing process that I, the only real job I had was to take care of myself, which was oh. foreign to me. I was working sometimes 70 hours, six to just 70 hours, right? Uh, per week by choice. Nobody was forcing me, you know? No, no, we do it, like, to, you know, just dedication and passion, yeah, <laughs> you know, dedication oh. and passion. But meanwhile, your poor body saying, uh-uh, I'm not doing yeah. this right now. And yeah. so did you know, with all your health and your sciences and everything, did you know that was happening to you? Or did you legitimately think, okay, this is something else? Yeah. So I would say, because I've always been able to push myself and I have my strategies for pushing myself. I was medicated with painkillers at that time. I had the knowledge of what was going on, but from a, you know, inner priority standpoint, I did value my career over my health. And I'm very clear about that with my clients. That's why I, I, I serve them well, because I was them. Right? You were, yeah. Um, you were that person. Exactly. You know, people say, Oh, health is most important. Yes. I agree. It's very important, but we all have the truth and what we wish was the truth. And the truth is that I did put my career ahead of my health a million times over. Right. Wow. 
a million times. And was I a hundred percent conscious? That's what I was doing. Maybe not fully, but when it got really serious and so on, I was still more concerned about my jobs to being there, what my career path will look like than going on my healing journey. How interesting. How interesting that we've all the science knowledge ahead. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm saying that you had all this knowledge, but, and it's the same. It's so it's kind of like the, when they say, you know, the electrician is the one that, you know, has like 45 (laughs) light bulbs out in his house. It's like, it's very hard. And I love the fact I just uh, did another podcast um, earlier and we talk about having our person, whether it's a coach, whether it's a therapist and about fixing the roof when it's, when it's sunny out and not when it's raining and, you know, you're lying in bed and not able to move, but yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I think it just doesn't mm-hmm. happen that easy. I, I think you really, a lot of times people have priorities financially, uh, time-wise and otherwise, and especially as women, we don't put ourselves first. And this yeah. is something that is so important is that we need to put ourselves first, right? Yeah. And you, yeah. so now when did you realize? So you heal but- after four months, did you realize then or still not then? So at that time, during the four months, that's when I decided to leave corporate. So I will say that I do believe that, you know, the path is perfect, even though it's super zigzaggy, right? Because I needed to go through that moment and have the space to contemplate that even though I had the perfect job on paper, I wasn't fulfilled on an emotional sense. You know, my job grew in a, in a way that the the job I started doing was no longer the job I was actually <laughs> performing. And it was a lot more putting out fires and making really high stakes decisions. So there's a lot of pressure uh, in the job. And yes, there's lots of parts I liked, but contextually, I did not think that was all I was born to be here and do. I wanted my potential, I feel my potential is to impact a lot more people than I had the reach, right? In that specific uh, capacity. So I think it was very much, my body just has to like slap me and say, okay, pay attention. Yeah, <laughs> We're doing like, something Hello. else now. <laughs> you know, otherwise I would have kept going, I believe in terms of pushing and trying and whatnot. And I had a lot of room to grow in that career. So I could have gone, you know, technically like the Canadian dream, whatever that looks like. Um, but you, it would not have been enough fulfilled sort of personal fulfillment sense. And yes. through the four months at the end of it, I decided not to return, which was a very difficult decision. And then from there, opened my practice and just started to very slowly build because I was still recovering and I was still, you know, regaining my strength, I guess, to just be at full capacity again. But I knew that I wanted to build it differently and it hasn't been a straight line, but I wanted to build from a more joyous place, from a place of, you know, doing something that I feel aligned with rather than pushing and making things fit. Like used to be my previous strategy for success, (laughs) if that makes sense. Of course. And, you know, you said something so important uh, a few times about zigzagging. Um, even myself, I was never supposed to be in private investigations. I always said, you know, <laughs> I would take an absolute horrible, you know, uh, doctor, nurse, uh, police officers, because I just have like, I feel, you know, when I was younger, I felt everything that my clients felt, I didn't have that experience or the knowledge to block their feelings and it would transfer onto me. And I was only supposed to do it yeah. for five years. 
And, you know, I ended up doing it for two decades. But the thing is, is that to your point, I feel like if you didn't go down that path and one of my uh, things is uh, tattooed on me is the struggles part of the story, your yeah. struggle and your story, you wouldn't be where you are today if you didn't have that. And so yeah. that's what the whole podcast is about is hearing your struggle. And there is no straight, you know, there's somebody that I love dearly. And that always um, has said to me, you know, Adrian, there's Okay, I got to get this right because she says it's so much better and just rolls off her tongue with her <laughs> accent is that there's 19 paved highways to negativity and one dirt road uphill to positivity, <laughs> but you can still get there. It's just yeah. not going to be easy peasy and it's not going to be straight. There's going to be yeah. potholes and zigs and you're going to go right when you're supposed to go left, but you're still on that path. And it sounds yeah. like you always knew, because I, I feel like with your grandfather and with your upbringing, you were always very true to your authentic self. You had healing to do and you had to, like you said, take off the protective armor and do yeah. the work for sure. And you did a marvelous job, by the way. <laughs> Thank um, you. But I feel that you still got there. And that that to me, you know, movement is movement. It doesn't matter if you, you know, you go there right out of high school yeah. or university or college, but you still got there, but you needed those life experiences. So I love the fact that you're not yeah. like, oh, I wasted seven years in corporate. It was like, no. man, I needed to learn that lesson. Yeah. And I, I do believe that one of the things I talk about to my clients sometimes is, as you are working in a specific job, for example, and let's just do contemplating, should I leave? Should I stay? Things are hard. I believe that anytime that our contract of learning and teaching with the people in a specific group, and that's when we transition someone else, somewhere else, right? And I feel for me that the people I've met and the experiences I had were so incredibly important. And like, I would not change anything, even the pain, which is, you know, I do see that there's a lot of learning and humbleness and brilliance in pain. And I think it's something that it's still part of what I'm learning and putting into perspective, but even those moments, because my pain is my body telling me, you're not paying attention. You're not aligned. You're not authentic because it doesn't hurt if I am in my joy and in my zone and in my genius and it hurts when I'm pushing and trying to make things fit, right? So now I use my physical pain as almost as barometer of how close am I or how far am I from my real authentic embodied self. Uh, and it has been used, now I use it as a tool rather than something that I'm upset about or that you Or you try me. to like avoid, be, right? Yeah. yeah. And I love that. I, I always tell people, you know, growth only comes when you're, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you seem so strong. You know, I am unbreakable. And I'm like, look at, here's the whole reality. You can only be unbreakable if you've been broken and not once, but several times. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. you and I both get that through pain comes growth and comes mm -hmm. greatness. Right. Yeah. So why do, why do you think people try to avoid pain so much? Mm -hmm. I think we've been taught a lot of lies growing up, <laughs> uh, many, many lies. And a lot of what we do is unlearn, right? Like a ton of the work, the real work that the masters are telling you is just to unlearn everything you've been taught. But I think the number one that I see, and that is very true for women and 
that I work with in weight loss specifically is the, is the fantasy that we live in a world that is just one, one way, like just supportive, just positive because, and that's part of like one of the big, I would say concepts that I live by. If you take a magnet that has a positive and a negative side and you cut the magnet in half, you're still going to have a positive and a negative side. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we live with this pursuit of never feeling off and ne- only feeling happy and never feeling sad. So we're basically telling life, I do not care for the other 50% of life that feels the adequacy of the magnet. Wow. Right? And it's really that pursuit to this fantasy that keeps so many people sad and struggling. For me, I feel if I pursue a challenge, I feel supported. And that's it. I love you know, that. I pursue what is hard because, and that's not because hard work is necessary for success, but I'm always challenging myself intellectually, physically at the gym and whatnot. And then the muscles grow and then the mind expands. And I think it's just, I'm not um, hypnotized by the fantasy anymore. If something negative from my perception happens. I look for positives. If something very positive happens in my perception, I look for the drawbacks and I'm as much as I can equilibrate my perceptions. The yeah. magnet so I think suffering. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was gonna say the magnet analogy is perfect. I, everybody has to listen to, to what you just said that why would you give up 50% of yourself? Exactly. When you say it like that, it's just like, oh, well, hopefully who's ever listening can really understand what you're saying, because that is such a, you know, with birth comes death, with joy Mm -hmm. comes sadness. And people have to understand that that is part of it. And I love your analogy. So I apologize. Mm -hmm. I cut you off because I was so excited, (laughs) was able to so relate because again, you make you make your teachings super simple for people to follow. I find that some people that when they start talking, you know, and as much knowledge as I have, I'm lost. I'm kind of like, okay, you sort of lost me, you know, <laughs> third thing you said, but fine. Um, and, and that's not to, to discount whatever uh, anybody else is saying, but for me, I like it simple for humans. They like it simple. If yeah. you complicate it, it's, it's kind of like you said, even about weight loss, if you complicate it, forget yeah. it, you've already lost. Yeah. And I love how you simplify things. Is that what you've done? I think in your book too, right? Yeah. And I kind of broken down into what I feel the, the quotations, right? Sequence of events is in terms of peeling off the layers of misperceptions. So you can actually look at your body and say, oh, we are indeed a partnership. <laughs> we are, you know, best friends here. I just didn't realize. So it's kind of like how the sequence of the chapters really is designed because I feel that the suffering and especially with weight loss, I work mostly with women that have tried everything or have very complex hormonal cases. That's usually the women that come to me. I'm nobody's first rodeo. Let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. Because I work mostly in this aspect of the mind, right? Like, so if you don't know what proteins and fats are, yes, that's part of the work, but I just assume baseline knowledge, let's put it that way. So a lot of the suffering that comes looking at the mirror or looking at food cravings, I can't eat this, I can't, all those like rules that people come with. When we believe we are the mind and we're seeking the fantasy of the positive, say, step on the scale, the scale is going to make my day suffering happens. It's inevitable. There's no other way. Right. And what I 
hope to help women do on a regular basis is one, you're not the mind. We listen to the mind. We don't try to get rid of it because it's, it's trying to help you, even if it's not helpful. So you're not the thoughts. You just have the thoughts, right? We don't buy the story. We know it's there. And we also don't make the scale your authority outside of you telling you whether or not you're going to have a good day. And I think it's by breaking some of those almost like Mindset. expected ways that people say, that's how you say accountable in weight laws and so on. And I start breaking a lot of those things and doing things differently so okay. that we're not doing this because we have to, but because we get to. And yeah. I think that is like a cool little shift that starts to happen. Yeah, I love that because honestly, I mean, having four kids, like you had said, I had some health issues. I gained a ton of weight. I've always like been physically fit, kickboxing, doing this, doing that. And I got to a point that I could hear my negative self-talk when I would walk by a mirror and I would then change the narrative and say, you need to stop this. I ended up because I was so busy with so many kids. I just removed some of the mirrors that were sort Mm -hmm. of triggers. And I was doing this consciously and I had a trainer, God bless her soul. I love her to this day. (laughs) It's always about weighing in. And I'm like, look at this is not working for me. I I'm yeah. upset the day before I'm stressed out, whatever, we got to do something different. And she was like, how about, you know, you take a picture or how about you and worked with me to be able to come up with something that was palatable. And I think what you're saying is that there's many different ways to measure yes. weight loss success or any success for that yeah. matter. And if it's causing you that much strife and grief and upset, and I know so many women that have such a bad relationship with the scale. And so I'm like, so throw it out. I don't even own one. They're like, what, how do you tell? And I'm like, well, you know, I've got like three different sizes of clothing. Sadly, still, I should only really have one. Maybe (laughs) I go, I can tell if this is a little tighter, you know, and the thing is I'm the one who feeds myself you know, calories in calories out people make it. So I'm not going to talk to the guru of all weight loss, (laughs) positivity, which is yourself, but it's really simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we complicate the kajibas out of it. And we lie to ourselves and we tell ourselves stories. And until like you said that you can be honest and authentic with yourself and say, okay, this is my struggles. I mean, granted, some people do have health issues that like mm-hmm, you said, mm-hmm. hormones and things you yeah. cannot ignore, but that's maybe you can tell us that's probably what less than 10% <laughs> of the population. Am I right in saying that? Clearly, like in terms of the generic tendency to it, like 1% potentially of people. Okay. That so see, I was giving so very small. Yeah. But I'm saying, you know, and it's so funny because we go back to what our grandparents taught us and said, you know, you are what you eat. And I'm like, so I'm a big fluffy marshmallow, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, you you know, you are what you eat and what you put in your body does affect, like you said, everything about you. But I love how you are able to sort of mesh the the mind, the spirit and the body and everything together and how the importance of that. You're, you're, you are a trailblazer and people need to come to you if they've got a roadblock. Thank you. No, but agreed because Mm -hmm. you're, you're not making it so difficult. You're saying, okay, you're, you've got some struggles. Fair enough. Let's deal with them, but let's align everything. You set them up for success is the way that I feel. Yeah. And I think one of the main 
like point of why I think it's so difficult for a lot of women, especially the ones that are more yo-yo dieters and so on. Emotions are not usually addressed in weight loss. And that's why that is the most, I'll say, prevalent part of my messaging is like, we need to talk about this because food, if you think of food from an early age as a baby, food is safety, is care, is love. Then as you grow, right, it's like you celebrate pizza day. If you win, I don't know, soccer game, if you're sick, chicken soup to soothe you. So, So food is incredibly attached with emotional, uh, I'll say modulation, like we're using it to sue, to celebrate, to punish, to all the things, right? Mm-hmm. So for somebody to say realistically, oh, you have this weight issue. So cut all of this, cut all of that, eat all the stuff you don't want to eat. Yeah. It's never going to last. It's impossible no. because it is a it's strategy. Temporary. It temporary. is. And we so, know, yeah, go ahead. Like we know what works to make us feel better. And food is such an easy, accessible thing to do so. So we need to start there. And I was going to say, it's so important, like what you said, and I, I really need, if anybody's just tuning in, to have you reiterate the fact that it is attached to positive and negative emotion, Yeah, but it is all emotional. And you look at, mm-hmm. you know, certain illnesses and certain things that, you know, people are enduring, you know, is it what they've put in their body prior could things change? I mean, you look at people that were incredibly, you know, ill and ate extremely unhealthy. To me, being overweight is just sort of a a symptom of what the bigger problem is, right? It's just a sort of the aftermath. But you're saying, look, let's deal with what this is and what the emotional attachment to food is. Is it is it a happy time? Was it a safe yeah. time for you? And I love that. I don't even know if that's exactly how you approach mm-hmm. it, but that's how I feel like you approach it. And to me, that sets you up for success. Yeah. And having a strategy outside of food, because food is reliable, it's inexpensive, relatively easy access, right? having a strategy outside of food to get yourself to the same level of emotional equilibrium. <laughs> I think that's the second piece of it, right? Which is a big part of what I do because one is the awareness of what's happening, but that's still not enough for women to release the food, right? And then transition to something else. And for some women, that is a very lengthy process, especially if you're talking about you know, the top three foods that they really crave. Like for myself, for example, so I made a decision... 13 and a half months ago to release alcohol from my life 100%. And that was not a popular decision. My parents are studying wine for many years. They live in wine country. Like it is a huge part of my family and our social life. Like they live in Agro on the Lake. So every restaurant is a winery or brewery. And it was a decision that I made for my own reasons, right? That had nothing to do with any, anyone else. And I was getting to a place that it was impacting me in a way that I wasn't happy with. And I was using it as a coping mechanism for some emotional stuff. And I really wanted to really deeply practice what I preach. And I said, I'm going to do this when I'm ready. So during COVID, I stopped drinking for many months. When everybody drank, I was zero alcohol, went back to it a little bit. Like it wasn't in copious amounts, but it was enough times a week that it was something to be observed, but it wasn't until I was emotionally ready to release 
and go through the process that I was able to actually sustain it with absolutely no effort. Right. So I think it is a big one because yes, I can say I've done that with chocolate or whatever, you know, but alcohol is such an emotional one that we associate with luxury, we associate with good times and, you know, with the fancy part of life, the good part of life. And I'm still able to have the exact same amazing experiences without the alcohol. And I think that is such a beautiful evidence for myself to strengthen my belief that just by releasing the association of the food or the emotion, it doesn't mean you don't get to experience the emotion. You just don't need the external thing to get you there. And I think that was like a big aha for me that we can I do it without that. the external tool. Yeah. And that I think is a whole, I, I, I hope you come back. That is a whole podcast all on its own. My husband decided to give up alcohol. I think it's going to be four years in October. And, nice. you know, same, it, it was just a, a decision that was made, but to your point, there's a lot to unpack and you have to be ready and you have yes. to know why you're doing that. And, and it has to come from you, not from, you know, pressure from the family to drink yes. or not drink or whatever. <laughs> but the fact that you can say that, you know what, I gave something up that was super emotional, super hard, but I did it. And so can you, right? Mm -hmm. that, exactly. that I think is so powerful. You know, you yeah. and I can go on and on, <laughs> I'm sure for hours. Will you come back and talk to yes, us? Yes, of course. Yes, my love pleasure. That. Thank <laughs> you so much. So how can people reach you if they want to reach out to you, want to talk to you, would like to, you know, hire your services? How can they reach you? Yes. So I think the best way, if anybody wants to have a conversation with me is on my website, naturallyjoyous.ca slash Instagram. And in that specific page, I have a little invitation there. If you want to listen to my podcast, or if you want to connect with me on a quick discovery call, so that's the best link. So it has everything organizing one. And place. I'll make sure I have that in our description mm -hmm. as well. So they can just click away. I love that. Thank you so much for all your insight. And I, by the way, I love the name too. It, it <laughs> describes it perfectly. I'll just finish by saying in marketing and my part of my background is uh, public relations. Mm -hmm. it, it, it describes you to a T and it describes your business sort of like Toys R Us. You don't have to wonder, are they selling baths? <laughs> right. And your yes. name is just exactly perfect for you and for what you bring to everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you'll come back again soon. It has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And I'll be more than happy to come back. <laughs> Thank you. Lots of love. Lots of love.